It's time to swing into the golf world of today. I don't think I've had this much fun on a golf show. The Pro Show with Keith Stewart, sponsored by TaylorMade. Terrific voice, and you have enthusiasm. Now your host, the director of fun. Give me that guy all day. He's the best. Keith Stewart. Good afternoon and welcome to the pro show i'm your host keith stewart thank you for tuning in to espn 920 well the men of the pga tour are down in a shootout in dallas at the at&t byron nelson you know what the ladies i've been there all week up there at the cognizant founders cup we're joined this afternoon by their tournament director scott wood and author shane ryan he's writing about the Ryder cup and club pros so i can't wait to get into all that you can't stop golf's most entertaining hour wade hit it Mr. Wade Weezer, how was your week, my friend? I cannot complain, you. Um, yeah, man, I'm not complaining. In fact, it's been about two weeks since I've seen you here in the studio, That's since right. I was on the road last week. We saw each other through the uh, the old computer screen, but not face-to-face. You know, technology is a fantastic thing. It's a wonderful it, time to be alive. It, it is a wonderful time to be alive. Could you imagine, <laughs> like, when we were kids... Here, first tangent of the day. Mark it down. Put it on the whiteboard. Could you imagine when we were kids? We got it in a minute. Yeah. (laughs) The over under. We got. We we actually were on the over. Right. Um, (laughs) Being able to communicate like that, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unbelievable. I mean, just all all the things. Everything. Oh yeah. Everything. Up to North Jersey this afternoon, and we're going to talk to Scott Wood, who's the tournament director at the Cognizant Founders Cup, the LPGA, one of their biggest and most premier events of the season, three million dollar purse. So this is the largest purse that the LPGA. PGA plays for outside of their major championships. It happens right here outside of New York City. So if you're up in New York, North Jersey, all of my listeners in that area, make sure you get out this weekend and check out the ladies. You can park right on the property. Uh, It's just unbelievable. So we have a conversation with Scott Wood. Uh, I sat down with him up there at the facility and we spent some time together and uh, you're going to hear parts of that today for sure. And then my second guest today. Yes, that's right. We are. Uh, we've got Double two. Dipping. We've got two. It's not a one. It's a two today. And uh, we've got Shane Ryan, author from. He's a contributor for GolfDigest.com, but he's also an author. He's wrote a bunch of books, and he wrote one on the Ryder Cup, not just in general, but the most recent one back in September. So I can't wait to ask yes. him how how he got that done so quickly. But um, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, kudos to that guy. I don't think I could read a book. I mean, I do then. a lot of writing all week and this guy's like prolific. He's putting out like novels in months. Uh, unbelievable. So I can't wait to talk to him and I can't wait to share with all of you the leaderboards for what we've been witnessing this week for the ladies up there at the Cognizant Founders Cup. You know, the golf course is in unbelievable shape. Kudos to Upper Montclair Country Club for what they've done, the show that they've put on for these ladies. And I thought that it would be playing a little bit tougher than it is. But I tell you, Madeline Sagstrom yesterday, round one, I walked around with her all afternoons with one of my buddies, Vince Magley. We were we were watching her. We were watching Lexi. We were watching all these unbelievable players just tear this place up. I mean, I tell you, you can't make a golf course. If there's no wind and there's no elements for these players to deal with, you just can't make it tough enough. Right. Right. Madeline goes around clean card, nine birdies. Right. And I was interested in her because, of course, Starting the week, I put her in the newsletter. You did? Oh, yes, my friend. She's a little 40 to 1 there, right? So um, looking to back up two weeks ago what we did with Marina. But uh, we followed, We had to follow Lexi. She had a huge crowd around her. She was playing with Leona McGuire and Minji Lee, two very strong players there on the LPGA Tour. Uh, a lot of people were out there yesterday. 
And uh, not that I should sound surprised, but I mean, the access, you could park on the property. You don't have to like park at a mall or like some arena somewhere and then get busted. in. I mean, you could park right, right there. I mean, ample parking. Oh, man. As they say it couldn't have been. <laughs> it, well, I mean, I get to park night in a nice spot. But, you, um, but, you know, everybody else just filing in. I mean, I tell you, I, it was great to see everybody out there supporting the LPGA here in the New York City area. Love it. And the PGA Tour is doing the Wild West shootout down in Dallas. They are down in McKinney, which I guess is a suburb of Dallas. I don't know. These are the things that people tell me. <laughs> and uh, they are playing the AT&T Byron Nelson, Lord Byron's championship. And I think he would be rolling over in his grave if he saw the scoring in this thing. <laughs> Yesterday, Sebastian Munoz shot 12 under par with a bogey. Wow. Right? He shot 60. Wow. He shot 60 with a bogey. Right? He had nine birdies, two <laughs> eagles, you know, because one eagle is not enough. No. And a bogey. And he was leading by four over a group of four guys at eight under. Uh, you know, I love to throw this stat out, but there's 107 players under par. You know, there's only like 107 players in the tournament. I mean, it's 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 unbelievable. You can expect a cut line this afternoon in, in round two of probably like five under par. That's what you, you know? call stiff competition. Oh, I mean, speaking of five under par, you got a group there that's tied for 12th, right? <laughs> Okay, 500 par is tied for 12. You got DJ Spieth, uh, your number one player in the world, Scotty Scheffler. You've got Adam Scott there. I mean, guys like JT at 400, they're 25th place. Man, shoot, shoot 400 par in here. Pretty 20, good. Uh, I mean, it's it's decent, you know. Which begs the question in my mind, you know, as as a golf professional and as someone who's taught the game, played the game, I, I just I, I wonder, like, is this a good warm up for a major championship next week? Which is really going to be hard up at Southern Hills you know I mean I know I mean if you go out in four under uh next Thursday you know up in Tulsa mm -hmm. and I mean you're probably leading the tournament yeah you're probably you not know? in 25th place oh my god I mean just there won't be 25 guys under par <laughs> that's the for the whole day you know and I can't wait to get out there uh we fly out Monday night uh, TV on Monday morning, record with Chantel, and then nice. route Monday night we're going out to Tulsa we'll be there for the week and we get to cover the 104th PGA Championship for my association, and that's going to be a ton of fun. And you know what else is a ton of fun there, Mr. Wade Weezer? Tell me. The gift that just keeps on giving, and that is the one, the only, Mr. Greg Norman. Oh, what'd he do? Oh, God. I mean, all week. All right. So a little background for where we stand. Where, you know, I can't go back to the beginning, folks, but uh, in order to play in the Live Golf Investments, first event in London, which is less than a month away, it's the first weekend in of course, on cue. Uh, the first weekend in June at Centurion Golf Club there in London, um, players had to file a release, whether they're on the PGA Tour or the DP World Tour, which is your European tour. Right. In order to play in the event, they had to say, can I go play in the event to the tours that they currently are members Makes of? Makes sense. And as it turns out, shocker. Uh, do, you have a, do you have a shocker hot button over there? All <laughs> I right. need one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> shocker. The PGA Tour, the DP World Tour said, uh, no, you can't go play. Right. So now all of these players have a choice. If they really feel like they're independent oh. contractors, they can go play. Sure. There's nothing that says that they can't go play. However, I, I detect a however coming. Well, I, there's a, the however is, is that you've been told by your current tour where you're a member that if you do go play, you can't come back. Right. So, Surprise! yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm not surprised, and nobody in the nobody in the golf media world is surprised that the tour. You know, the tour thought. You know, some people, some people actually thought that. Well, you could go play in the first one, but then when they come over to the United States, then we're going to say no to the release. I mean, you ever heard right. of, you ever hear a thing called a precedent? You know, like yeah. I mean, 
So I mean, because this thing's definitely going to the courts. It's like, it's like Chris Hansen to catch a predator. So so I'm free to go. Yeah, you're free to go. Go yeah, ahead. Go. Go for it. Walk right out there, right? And then they go down to Texas and they start talking to the the Scotty Schefflers and the and the Justin Thomases of the world, and they're like, you know, those guys are dug in with the PGA Tour, yeah, and I mean, right and rightfully so, and I, and I am too, and you know, I'll get on my rant in a second, but you know, they're like, go, go, just go, mm-hmm. just go, right? I mean, these the, this this whole thing cracks me up. There's two sides to it. First of all, I don't know if you heard the quote, but you know, there was another reporter tragically murdered over there. Uh, under the Saudi regime. Yes, I okay. did. Of course. All right. Terrible. Okay. And you know who spoke on their behalf and did a press conference for it? I do not. Oh, Greg Norman. Yeah. No. Yeah. He said, you know, I, I realize they've made some mistakes. Oh, no. About this? Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Because he's partnered with them for this tour and he, and he feels like he has to answer questions. I mean, Norman only opens his mouth to change feet at this I point. Realize. It's unbelievable. That's... And then on top of that, you know, you've got other players and everything that are, that are now starting to get really quiet because the pressure's on. It all comes down to whether or not you want to show up and put the peg in the ground, mm-hmm. right? And a bunch of them are complaining like, oh, we're independent contractors. And folks, let's talk about what it means to be an independent contractor, okay? Independent contractors don't get seven-figure pensions, mm-hmm. right? A lot of people don't know this about the PGA Tour. They have one of the most player-friendly pension programs in the world, not just for professional athletes, just in general. Right. You take a guy like Kevin Na that's going to go over there that's made thirty seven million dollars in his career on the PGA Tour. If that's not enough right, for him to, to go play in this other thing. Right. Right. He will receive at his level being a top 50 player in the world, having won, I think, five times on tour. He'll receive from his pension seven figures a year. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's 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 different. I mean, that's that's I'm, different than just being a higher gun, basically. To go you, over there. Yeah, you can't complain about being an independent contractor. And then, I mean, come on. I worked for 25 years as a club professional, as a member of the PGA of America. Mm -hmm. We have pretty much no pension fund, okay? So I can tell you what it means to be an independent contractor. And Jason Kokrak or Kevin Na or any of you, uh, I can guarantee you, you are not an independent contractor. And that's not a bad thing. So it just... It gets me going. It's 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 just unbelievable where this thing is going. I mean, whether it's what Norman says or, you know, when if Phil comes out of the shadows next week at the PGA Championship, uh, God bless us all. That circus comes to town next week. I mean, with Tiger there as well. I mean, uh, it'll be it'll be the most interesting sporting event I've ever attended. That's for sure. There's no doubt about that. You know what? So far. Yeah. So far. So far. So far. So far. Let's not put any, let's not attach hyperbole to that. Right. Like there's an ending, you know, there's no finality to all of it. That's for sure. Well, I'll tell you, obviously the story is going to keep going on, but to no one's surprise, the PGA tour DP world tour said, no guys, no soup for you. And uh, this will obviously go to the courts, which above all else, as a PGA professional and someone who gets on, on the mic every single Friday and writes about golf, who loves golf my whole wa- my whole life, right? I owe to golf, the industry, the game, the ecosystem itself. It's been so good to me and everything. Golf couldn't be more popular, Wade Weezer, right? We have yes, this sir. platform because golf is extremely popular and we got to drag this thing through the mud. Let's just make Sam. it go. Let's just make it go away. Let's just make it go away. Let's talk about something positive. The New Jersey Golf Foundation, the charitable arm of the New Jersey PGA section, is committed to positively impacting lives and communities through the game of golf. The foundation recently opened the Inspiration Golf Range located on the Lions campus of the VA New Jersey Healthcare System in Bernard's Township. The multi-purpose facility, which is open to the public, will host golf programming for youth, 
veterans, and individuals with special needs. To support the foundation or learn more about programs and special events, please visit njgolffoundation.org or call 732-465-1212. Just shy of quarter past three here in New York. Thanks for listening to ESPN 920. Be back in a moment with my conversation of the tournament director for the Cognizant Founders Cup, Scott Wood. Keyshawn Johnson, Jay Williams, and Zubin Mahente. All NFL players get paid a lot. You're not going to get paid more than me, though, because I'm the guy when it comes to clearing it out. Y'all take care of me. Spoken like a true wide receiver. Way to go, Roscoe (laughs) Jenkins, team of me. His name is first on the show, so we get it. You know, we get it. Me, Sean, as they like to call me, for those that don't know me. But anyway. Keyshawn, Jay, Will, and Zubin. Weekday mornings at 6 Eastern on ESPN Radio or streaming live on the ESPN app. The New Jersey Golf Foundation, the charitable arm of the New Jersey PGA section, recently opened the Inspiration Golf Range and Activity Center, located on the Lions campus of the VA New Jersey Healthcare System in Burns Township. The multi-purpose facility, which is open to the public, will serve as the home site for the foundation's lineup of golf programming highlighted by PGA Hope, Helping Our Patriots Everywhere, a rehabilitative golf program for military veterans. The Inspiration Range will also serve as a training site for the Special Olympics New Jersey golf athletes, as well as host dynamic youth golf programs. Led by PGA professionals, the New Jersey Golf Foundation is committed to positively impacting lives and communities through the game of golf. To support the foundation or learn more about programs and special events, please visit njgolffoundation.org or call 732-465-1212. That's njgolffoundation.org or 732-465-1212. Time to get back on course as the pro show continues. Great show and great questions. Once again, Keith Stewart. Welcome back to the Pro Show. I'm your host, Keith Stewart. You're listening to ESPN 920. The LPGA is back in our metropolitan area, and so is their tournament director. Scott Wood leads the Cognizant Founders Cup here in New Jersey, a premier event on the LPGA schedule. Let's learn what he and his staff here prepared for the best women in the world right next to New York City. He left town, I doubt if he's coming back all right, Scott, welcome to the Pro Show. Welcome back to New Jersey, too. You know, let's jump right in here. How excited are you and Cognizant in the Founders Cup to be here back in New Jersey in, in such a quick turnaround? Yeah, it's we're thrilled to be back, and we're thrilled to be playing the Cognizant Founders Cup for the second time in northern New Jersey. And at historic Upper Montclair Country Club, which, to be honest with you, the LPGA has a ton of history here. I was talking to Nancy Lopez last night about her victory here, and, you know, she's like, I don't remember a lot of it, but then again, you know, I've, I've won a lot of times on tour, so, but it's it's a phenomenal facility, it's a beautiful area, and hey, we're only 10 miles away from Manhattan, so we're, we're loving it here. Oh, I mean, you know, I've said this several times, New York's the center of the universe, so you guys are definitely in the right place. And I did a little digging as I was getting prepared for just, you know, not necessarily your interview, but just covering the Cognizant for other mediums, and 79 Coca-Cola Classic, right, was Nancy Lopez's victory here. In a playoff, it started out as a five-way playoff, but on the first hole, the first playoff hole, she and Mickey Wright birdie it, and they go on to the second playoff hole, and then Nancy ends up winning the tournament. But it was one of Mickey Wright's last professional tournaments was played right here at Upper Montclair Country Club. So, I, I mean, I think it just makes so much sense for you all to be here with the LPGA. There's so much history. I mean, Upper Montclair is one of the few clubs in the country that's hosted all three professional tours. 
You know, it's hosted the Champions Tour, PGA Tour, and of course the LPGA Tour. Just an awesome history. And I know that Cognizant is trying to make this a super special event. I mean, you see the purse is higher than you know any other standard tour event that's not a major. Um, you know, they signed on just barely a little over a year ago, right? But from your perspective, right? Um, the new spot on the schedule, everything Cognizant has brought to the table. Um, what's your perspective on all that? Yeah, it's you know what, it's exactly what we had hoped it it would be. Um, with with Cognizant come on board and elevating and doubling the purse, it now has become one of those. I you know I don't want to say it's our sixth major, but it's definitely become our marquee event outside of our majors. And that's what I think I remember telling you last year that I wanted to elevate this. We wanted to elevate this to become. The, the marquee event outside of our majors and for us to be able to be in this market for us to have a title sponsor like cognizant to be able to celebrate the past the present and the future of the lpga is just tremendous and to be able to do it at such a, a beautiful facility and a historic facility that like you mentioned has hosted all major events all major tours here uh it it was a natural fit for us from the from the moment we stepped on property all right, so talk to me then. I, I know, and we talked again the last time that you all were here in October, and you just mentioned it there. You kind of alluded to it. You want to do some special things. We're near New York City. Uh, let's start, first of all, I love this. I personally love this spot in the schedule. I think May really fits. I love it right before the majors, you know, as they, as that season really kicks off. And, you know, I think that probably you do too, right? Is this where it's going to stay on the schedule? It is, yes. And and I love it as well because we come out of our West Coast swing and then we're the event, we're the next event that brings it east. So um, it, we're going to be, we're going to be in this slot for, for at least three more years. Next year, we're going to be celebrating Mother's Day on Championship Sunday. So it, it all is starting to tie together for us, and and I'm I'm loving it. I'm actually going to be happy that we actually have 12 months now to plan it versus uh, five months to plan it. All right, let's let's jump on that um, <laughs> subject matter for a second. Then you probably have an amazing team, right? That's come together in seven months. You turn this around, um, and you've also now worked with a new partner in Upper Montclair Country Club. What was? Let's start there. What was your first impression of the golf course when you came over and you found out this is going to be your new host venue? Yeah, once I stepped on the back patio and I saw that 27-hole layout in front of us, we knew we had tremendous opportunity and potential to be able to continue our run up here in northern New Jersey. So, and then I started walking through the multimillion-dollar renovated clubhouse, and it just started to really come together and fit. And and our tour professionals, my staff. LPGA staff, everyone is, is we found a new home here. It's it's very comfortable for us. And it really has come together somewhat effortlessly, but uh, but to be able to work with this crew here has been it's been tremendous and, and you know kudos to Charlie Dimple and the GM here and Mike Brunel. The grounds could not be better and, and we're we're in for a treat this week. Well, I tell you, I've been on the grounds all week and it is spectacular. I mean, the, the job that they have done with this golf course, and we have not had a great spring here in New Jersey. And, you know, my audience, everyone out there that plays golf knows that every weekend it seems to rain. But I tell you, it, the, when you walk in and you're on that back patio and you look out over, you know, the landscape of those 27 holes and the 18 that they're using for the championship, man, it looks fantastic. And I've walked around. I've seen the ladies play some holes yesterday in round one. Just fantastic setting for all of this. Um, how happy is Cognizant with all of this? Because this is a pretty special place. Yeah, it is. They were happy last year when we started this process with them. Coming here this year, it's been nothing but spectacular, rave reviews for everybody. And 
now that we're you know into the thick of the tournament week they're going to be hosting a lot of their main clients and a lot of their you know important vips this week so they are they're happy to be here it's really close to to a couple of their headquarter uh, offices down the street it's very close to manhattan so you know the for them to be able to do business at the golf course it's 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 very easy and effortless for them so we're, we're just excited that we can be able to build that and provide that opportunity for them, but also too, for our players, it's, it's nothing but rave reviews about the golf course. Folks, if you're wondering who that voice is right there, I am very fortunate. I have the tournament director from the Cognizant Founders Cup with me this afternoon here on the Pro Show. That's Scott Wood. Scott, let's talk about You just mentioned the word players, right? On Wednesday, I sat in on the press conference for world's number one, Jin Young Ko, and she talked about the golf course, how even in her words, is pretty tough and she mentioned the bunkers right now we how excited are you to test the best players in the world against this golf course and what do you think the setup is going to be like and how it's going to play out over the weekend is it going to be set up tough like a major because i mean the purse warrants that or um you know what do you get a feel for as the players came through this week and their practice rounds and and the feedback that you hear yeah, I think the way that it's set up and the course conditions that we have it set up right now, it's going to be a thinker's golf course. It's not going to be a bomb and go find it and hit it again. It's going to be strategic off the tee. You you might not see a lot of drivers on on several holes. And then on the other side of that, you know, hole number three could play dead into the wind at three shot par five. And, and it's it could be the toughest hole of the tournament week. So uh, talking to Lexi Thompson the other day, she said, not only does it look like a major championship golf course, it's playing like a major championship golf course. I really don't see us going into double digits for final score come up, come in the day on Sunday. So we're just thrilled with the greens conditions. It's just pure and, and the ball is rolling so well. So I. I don't live in this area, but I know that uh, coming out of a winter and having these type of conditions, we're very fortunate and very lucky. Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, the golf, I can't, I can't emphasize this enough, everyone that's listening. The golf course looks spectacular. And you got to come out this weekend and you definitely got to check it out because it, I mean, the best in the world are here getting tested and there's no doubt that they will be tested. And I think you're totally on point there with the projection. I think it's going to be high single digits at best. And that's if the wind doesn't kick in or we don't get any kind of abnormal weather. But not, not that we're looking for any, but um, I, I think it's going to play tough. I, I really do. Um, small greens, really deep, difficult. Bunk. I mean, this is a Tillinghast golf course. And I mean, you know, we're talking about Ridgewood, Wingfoot. I mean, we're talking about some epic places and uh, this fits the bill, certainly. Now, one of the things that I'm excited about is that you all are here. And one of the things I'm not excited about is that the PGA Tour has no plans to come to the metropolitan area on their schedule this year. But, but you all have made a point. You've stuck a flag in the ground and you are here. And I'm not just talking about Southern New Jersey and the Philadelphia crowd there for the ShopRite, but here in the metropolitan area, um, how much do the players love? I mean, what's the feedback from the players coming to New York City and how much fun is it for you to kind of entertain them here? Yeah, it's I heard yesterday all day after players were finishing up their pro-am or, you know, practice rounds, they were jumping into the city to go have some fun. So for them to be able to come in for a week and, and you know, to be able to maybe check out of the golf course for a little bit and go be entertained in, in one of the world's greatest cities in the, you know, in the world, it's I think they're loving it. I think they're going to just continue to. Um, embrace the the location that we're in and I think they're going to continue to embrace the environment that that is just across the river you know from here and um, so I think 
I think, you know, us finding a home and planting our, you know, flag here for the next three years, um, sky's the limit for what we can do here. And I know from an entertainment, uh, you know, what we do off the golf course is is we're going to continue. We already got so many ideas. I was talking to Molly, our commissioner, this morning on the first tee. And, you know, she said, listen, I, I want to go here. I want to go here because, you know, her Princeton roots and, and she's from here. So she's uh, so there's a lot of ideas flowing right now. And, and I think it's uh, it's only going to be continued to be elevated. Well, I, all right. I, I appreciate the opportunity that we get to talk every time that you're in town. And I don't want to put you on the spot for future because I know the whiteboard can get kind of wide and, and varied and everything. But how about just this year? What Name me something special that you're doing for the player experience because you have New York City at your fingertips and you have this classic golf course and beautiful venue. Yeah. So what we did, we, we don't want to take the golfers away from the golf course too much because especially with us coming to a new venue, we want to make sure that they have ample time to be able to familiarize herself with the with the tournament with the golf course and everything so we actually brought in a fashion consultant to be able to do our player gifting this year. So we set it up in the women's locker room. They actually were able to customize a, a you know a Levi's a jean jacket, and there's they have we have a, a sunglass fitting going on down there right now. So so really between you know cognizant coming on board, it's about spoiling the players and making them feel that love that they should you know get that the men's game maybe they get it week in and week out right. So they may get a little bit immune to it, but. We, we definitely, between ourselves, the LPJ and Cognizant, we, we want to be able to show our players that we, A, care about them, we love them, and we want to be able to, to, to elevate this, not only with the big purse of $450,000, but little things outside the, outside the ropes that, uh, that makes them feel special for the week. Well, I tell you what, when you live that lifestyle and you travel from place to place all the time and you kind of forget where you're from, when someone does the little things correct, like you and your team do, I mean, I think it makes a lasting impression. And I felt that back in the fall at Mountain Ridge, and I, and I feel that again here at Upper Montclair in covering this and just kind of being a part of everything. And you get the sense there's a lot of chatter on the range and the practice putting green as you walk by people and they're like, oh, did you, you know, did you know this was happening? And, and, and look at this and look how nice this is. You know, um, but, you know players have feedback. And it, there's no doubt that you and your team um, are being very thoughtful about the whole process. So I give you guys kudos for that. Now, part of the process of this whole event, it's known as the Founders Cup. What do you plan to do special this week in order to try to connect the ladies of this generation of golfers right. with those 13 founders, um, you know, because many of them, they're just not alive anymore. I mean, the story's there, but how do you how do you plan to tell, let's start first with, how do you plan to tell the founder's story this week here at Upper Montclair Country Club? Yeah, no, it's, it's a, an initiative across the board with everyone on the LPGA staff. And we want to make sure that the players understand that, listen, if it wasn't for that group of determined, gritty 13 women back in 1950, 72 years ago, we wouldn't be afforded these opportunities and and they wouldn't be able to to play on this type of stage so it's it's an initiative that we do we talk about it every day um, we have served you know we're doing the ceremonial tee shot we invited the players down for that this morning that were that were already on the golf course but you know it's one of those one of those initiatives that we have where act like a founder and that that is in that is in, in, ingrained in everything that we do at the LPGA. And we make sure that whenever we have player meetings and we make sure whenever new rookies come on board and we do the, the rookie um, orientations is that we start 
with where we began, right? We start in 1950 and we tell that story and we, we show those faces and we, we, we show those accomplishments that they had. I mean, we, we just lost Shirley Spork, one of our most vibrant founders and, and, um, and we, we make sure they understand Shirley never won on tour, but her impact with the LPGA and what she brought, she was she started the teaching and club professional division of the LPGA. So, you know, not only do we tell the players about her accomplishments on the golf course, even though she might not have won, it's what she brought to the game outside of it. Because we may have some players that may, you know, transition from being a professional into the teaching ranks. And they can do that because of Shirley Spork. So um, it's it's you know, it's one of those storylines and it's one of those chapters in a book for for a, for an organization like the LPGA that we make sure that all of our players at least have the cliff notes if, if I, I kind of look at it that way right I mean so um, so it's you know it's we try to put it into the digital perspective uh, versus you know being able to when when our founders were caravanning across the country and doing everything so um, it's, it's just part of our DNA it's part of our blood and and the more that we say act like a founder and the more that we have this event and the more that we celebrate those 13 women I think the players of today are going to continuously um, you know be be a aware of, of where we came from and where we're going. There's no doubt in my mind that you're successful in sending that message. You know, I feel that across the board. I wanted to ask that question because I was hoping we could kind of go down this road. One of the things I, I'm very fortunate to do when I get to interview awesome leaders like yourself is I get to pick your brains. And that helps me develop not only to be, you know, a better media correspondent, but just to be a better person in general, right? So as thoughtful as that answer was, now I'm gonna put you on the spot real quick for a second. And what does act like a founder mean to you as the tournament director of this or as a representative or an ambassador for the LPGA? It's it's doing the right thing every time. It's never never compromising your your morals and your ethics. And it's it's one of those sayings that it really gets in your body that everything that you do as you go through your daily life, right? And it's and you're gonna be faced with challenges and you have to stop and think like what what is the next steps? Which path do I go? Do I do I go right or do I go left? And it's, it's thinking back to conversations, for me personally, it's thinking back to conversations that I've had over the last seven and a half years being in this organization with Marilyn Smith, with Shirley Spork, and with Marlene Bauerhage, and, and just and Nancy Lopez, and, and all the ladies that came after them. But, you know, it, it's always been an uphill battle for, for, for the women's golf and for women's sports in general. So to be able to understand a lot of the challenge that they had and say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and do the right thing whether or not anybody's looking. And that's really what Act Like a Founder is. We just embody and embrace everything that those 13 women started back in 1950. What amazing advice. Folks, that's Scott Wood right there. He's the tournament director of the Cognizant Founders Cup. And he's joining me for just a couple more minutes. And I want to talk about the fan experience. Mm-hmm. All right. The weekend's coming. This is Friday afternoon. But the weekend, the weather looks looks good for spring in yeah. New Jersey, right? <laughs> so we're excited about that. We've already talked about the venue, how cool it is. This isn't a place you get to play normally, folks. So if you want to check it out, this is the easiest way to get in. And, you know, let's be honest, you know, th- there, there won't be a million people here. 
you know, you're going to get close to the players, the access that you'll see, and the fantastic golf that you'll see. But I know you also have something probably planned for all the fans that show up. But let's let's first talk about logistics because it's the tri-state area. There's a lot of people. It's hard to get around. How easy is it for someone to come and watch this weekend? Yeah, the, the one new update for this year is we have parking on site and parking is included in your ticket. So you know what, you pay one price, you, you, you put into your GPS, Upper Montclair Country Club, and when you pull on to the property and, and we guide you through, you know, to, through the property, you're gonna park your car and you're gonna walk onto and watch, start watching golf within five to 10 minutes. There's no shuttle rides and everything. So that's, that's a one major improvement that I'm, our staff is most proud of this year. Um, secondly, this weekend we have tons of junior activities because everything that we do here and, and every dollar that we make, we put back into the LPGA USGA girls golf program for the future of, of women's golf. So it's gonna be junior activity starting at 9 a.m. on Saturday, clinics going. We've got Nancy Lopez that's gonna do some, some clinics and some, and some um, you know, sitting down with the younger generation and talk about the history of the LPGA. We're gonna bring over some of today's players for some, you know, for some autographs and some Q&A. The one thing that I can tell you, Keith, that, that the LPGA does really, really well is our players are some of the most, appro most approachable in sport. And, no doubt about that. And they, they understand that for them and this tour to be able to continue to, to go on that meteoric rise that we've been on, you engage with the fans, you engage with the sponsors, you just do the right things. And it all goes back to that act like a founder mentality, right? I mean, it's, you know, they're walking between, you know, nine green and, and 10 T. And there's a, there's a girls golf member that wants to get an autograph or a quick selfie. They stop and, and do that. You know, they're, they're, they're focused on their game, but they also know this is a moment for this young girl that could make an impact down the road. So they just get it and it's, it's as easy as that. And so that's what I would tell all the listeners out is, is when you come to an LPGA event, if you haven't been to one yet, you're gonna walk away, not only a true fan of the LPGA, but you're gonna walk away with being a fan of every player that you interacted with. Well, Scott Wood, you know I'm a fan of yours. I'm a super fan of your team, you know, and what you all have put together in such a short amount of time and how you pivoted and you know, made this story such a success. I mean, kudos to you and everyone involved. Certainly Molly at the top, good friend of mine from my Princeton days. Mm -hmm. Love her to death, and it doesn't surprise me that either of you have put on just a fantastic event this week, and I'm so happy to hear that you're gonna be here for the next couple of years at a great venue. Um, the LPGA is so deserving of this in the New York City area, and I, I couldn't welcome you more with open arms. Man, that's so great to hear, Keith. And, and deserving is what our players, that, that's the word that we always talk about whenever we go out and, and put these tournaments on is, because that's that's the lifeblood of the LPGA Tour. It's the players. That's uh, so they're they're deserving of this. Um, my staff and I are, are I will say selfishly we're deserving of this because now we can plan and come back and just continue to make this event just bigger and better every year here at Upper Montclair Country Club. Well, you're a big part of the fabric of it, my friend. So have a great weekend and thanks for spending the time. Thank you, Keith. Mike Greenberg is. Greeny. Chris Paul is one of those guys whose numbers, if you look at them, are so good that they almost seem made up. But, you know, he was never on the best team all those years in New Orleans, wasn't able to go to the Lakers, winds up on the Clippers, then they fell short. But now here he is, the veteran presence on this otherwise very young Phoenix team. It would mean everything to his legacy. Greeny with Mike Greenberg, weekday mornings at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio and watch exclusively on ESPN+. Plus.
Is there a better feeling than winning a bet? Take it from a professional, a PGA professional like Keith Stewart. When it comes to wagering on golf, you need to know more than analytics. Stats are just a description of a player's habits. But what causes those habits to repeat? There are other elements you need to consider to raise your betting acumen. If you're the type of person who loves to learn and earn by wagering, then you must read the line. With an easy-to-understand newsletter format, in five minutes a week, you can bet with confidence, knowing the picks are made by a golf professional. Golf betting lacks an expert voice. Read the Line brings over 25 years of experience in the golf industry to every prediction. Players are not an exact science, and neither is betting. But when you consider the human element of the game alongside facts and figures, you'll be able to elevate your winning reputation. Go to ReadTheLine.com to subscribe, read, and win. That's ReadTheLine.com. You got a great voice for radio. Time to get back on course. Face for radio. I, I get a lot of that, too. As the pro show continues, once again, Keith Stewart. Hey, it's the Pro Show, and I'm Keith Stewart. Our next guest is an awesome author. You know you're listening to New Jersey's ESPN 920. Shane Ryan writes for a living, whether it's for Golf Digest or his latest book. This great golf scribe has an uncanny ability to make the subtle stories sublime. He's just released a book on the Ryder Cup, and I can't wait to talk to him on this fantastic Friday afternoon. Shane Ryan, I know you're on the line there. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Pro Show. How are you today? Hey, Keith. How you doing? So good to join you. I'm good. All right, man. Now, I, I love to jump right into these interviews because time is limited here on a Friday afternoon. So you wrote a book on the Ryder Cup, and I heard about this, and I said, oh, man, it must be like a perspective over the years that he's been working on. No, you wrote a book on the Ryder Cup that just took place in September. How did you crank this thing out? This is an amazing, uh, this is an unbelievable feat in my mind, because I write a lot, and uh, I got to give you some props, man. All right, how did this whole thing come together? You know, I, the the short version of this, Keith, is that I had to write it in a month after the, <laughs> after the Ryder Cup was over. And, oh, man. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm a fast writer, and I always have been, but this is not something I would recommend, and it's certainly not something I'd want to do again. But uh, I did have a lot of the groundwork laid. I had done two years of research leading up to this, and, you know, I've been a huge Ryder Cup fan forever. And so I actually think, in a weird way, it was uh, kind of a great process, and really, I don't I don't think there was another way to write this book, uh, and I think it turned out really well. But, yeah, you know, it was uh, – that that fast a turnaround is, is definitely not simple. I can tell you that. All right. For those that are tuning in, the book we're talking about is The Cup They Couldn't Lose, America, The Ryder Cup, and The Long Road to Whistling Straits. So I, let's get right into this about the book. It dropped this week. I can't wait to dive into it because I'm a big Ryder Cup fan myself. I'm a PGA professional, so that's part of our association, right? It seems to me like every time I write a story or an article or I do anything and, and you're you're an author of books, right? You go in with kind of like a preconceived notion about where this thing will kind of go, right? So what was your first impression of like starting this book? So, you know, I think the really interesting uh, story of the Ryder Cup for the last, let's call it 40 years, has been, okay, from the early 1980s when Tony Jackman took over, why is Europe so good? Why do they keep beating the Americans, despite the fact that the Americans have better players almost every single time? You know, more majors, more, you know, higher in the world rankings, the whole nine yards. So how is it that Europe's able to do this? And I think the story is, and this is something, you know, that I, I've been researching again for like two years. The story is that they treated this like a team event rather than, you know, a few individual golfers going out together for three days. 
they treated this like a team event where you have to work for a year leading up to it to give yourself every possible strategic advantage you can to look at the chemistry between the players, to look at the course setup, to look at, you know, every little thing right down to like where you're going to serve the food and what your facilities are going to be like to give yourself the best possible chance to win. And it is a team sport buried within an individual sport. The Ryder cup is a team sport that necessitates team strategies. And so, you know, they, figured this out much sooner than the Americans. The Americans, who, again, had better players, thought they could coast on their talent. Every time they lost, they would think, well, we just have to play better. It's no big deal. And this went on for decades when they kept losing and losing and losing. And what happened was at the 2014 Ryder Cup in Glen Eagles, uh, this was Paul McGinley captaining against Tom Watson. The humiliation was so clear and so intense that the U.S. could no longer hide behind the idea of, oh, we'll just play better next time. And then there was a task force. Then things changed. Then you had guys like Davis Love, Steve Stricker, Phil Mickelson actually was a big part of it early on. Um, these guys got together and said, let's figure this thing out. And, they, and that's the second part of my book. The first story, how did Europe get so good? Second part, how did America figure things out and reverse it again? Um, and they have. And, uh, you know, that culminated, obviously, at Whistling Straits with this unbelievable performance where they just destroyed the Europeans 19-9. So we started to break down the book there and I kind of want to go through it a little bit. Just give me like a, a, a brief kind of table of contents, et cetera. You say most of it takes place where you talk about how Europe and Tony Jacqueline and, and Captain Jacqueline kind of, you know, completely changed their fortunes and moved through in the eighties and then, you know, turn this thing really into a much more competitive match. How much of the book then talks about um, the task force? And then do you get into how much of it, you know, covers whistling straights? Obviously you were there on the property kind of give me a breakdown. So the listeners can get a feel for um, how you kind of work your way through this story. Yeah, you know, the structure of the book, uh, I, I thought that eventually the best way to structure this thing, and I think it worked really well, is you kind of go back and forth, okay? So you might have a chapter on the historical perspective. Let's go back to 1983. What did Tony Jacklin do? Then you come back to the present and the two-year lead-up to Whistling Straight. So, you know, you may have a chapter on, you know, who is Steve Stricker? Where does this guy come from? He's from rural Wisconsin. You know, I went there. I talked to his parents. I talked to the people he grew up with. I tried to, you know, get the the full, you know, whole story of who Steve Stricker is and write the definitive chapter on his life. Then you go back with, okay, let's go back to what happened in the late eighties. Then you come back and say, how is the U S team forming? What's going on here? You know, how is this building up? Uh, and so that's the kind of parallel structure going on here. Um, that, you know, it just felt really natural to me when I started writing it. And the cool thing about it is one of the stories, the story that starts in the eighties catches up to the other story and they converge at the end and, and lead us into this current Ryder Cup. And so the idea is hopefully it gives readers this complete context for what's happening and what, you know, what led up to Whistling Straits while also being, um, you know, a really good story and, and hopefully very, very entertaining. I love that. And, that, and that's why I wanted to ask the structure question, because I was kind of curious how you put all of this together, because it is roughly 40 years of history. But the, the way that you show the problem and the solution and then maybe the evolution of it all taking place, going back and forth in time. That's really cool. Um, I, I honestly can't wait to dig into this thing. So you just mentioned there there was a pivot point where things kind of come together. Right. Without sharing. I mean, you know. We know what the ending is, but, um, you know, without, without sharing too much, right. What was that moment where the past kind of caught up to the future? Yeah. And so I, I think the, the fulcrum or, you know, the, the pivot moment comes after 2014, 
where again, that was this blowout in Scotland where the U.S. not only lost, but they were completely dysfunctional. I think people probably remember Phil Mickelson having this little uh, rebellion against Tom Watson in the press conference. Um, and this becomes the part at which you can no longer say, if you're an honest fan or an honest part of Team USA, you can no longer say, oh, well, they simply played better than us. This is the point at which you have to say something is going on here. <laughs> they, they have some secret that we don't because there's no way they should be beating us this badly over and over and over. Uh, and so you have these guys, again, like Davis Love, who, you know, he has spent a career, Jim Furyk, they spent a career playing in these Ryder Cups and losing most of them. Not all of them, but most of them. Uh, and they're very smart guys, but they had to teach themselves how to think in a different way than just players. They had to become managers, basically. Um, and so, yeah, again, there's, there's a lot that goes into what they did with this task force. A lot of it is just learning the things that the Europeans have done. A lot of it is looking at things that have worked in the past, like a great example is Paul Azinger when he captained. He broke the guys down into pods. He said, you know, this is a selfish sport. This is an individual sport. We can't bring 12 people together and, and expect them to be this coherent, cohesive team for three days. It just doesn't work that way. But what if we broke them down into units of four and just asked them to be you know, friends with each other and, and to support each other, and we broke them down by personality type, so it's easier, and we got guys who, you know, whose games gelled. What if we did that? And it was wildly successful for him at Valhalla in 2008, and then it just gets dropped, right? It gets dropped for a couple of years, and, and the U.S. keeps losing. So they looked back at that and said, well, you know, hey, maybe Paul Azinger had something here. And so there's little things like that. They hired stats guys. They hired data analytics groups to help them figure out pairings and course setup. And the underlying thing behind it all, Keith, is this concept called institutional memory. And that sounds you know, very fancy and highfalutin, but all it means is that we learn from our failures and we learn from our successes. So where previously America had been you know, veering wildly from one year to the next, different captains, different philosophies. Now it's a coherent through line. We're going to learn from winning in Hazeltine. We're going to learn from losing in Paris. We're going to learn from the President's Cup. We're going to keep learning and learning and learning. And it's going to be a continual thing like Europe has had. And, you know, in just six short years, they've, they've done a wonderful job turning the whole thing around. You know what? You, you bring up that term, institutional memory. And uh, I'm a PGA professional and I was a club pro for 25 years. And about every two years, you get a new club president or a new golf chairman. And, you know, we can extrapolate that out. If you if you look at the PGA of America, every two years, they get a new president. And, you know, something just continues to roll over and roll over. Every two years, you get a new Ryder Cup captain. And the institutional memory concept um, is, I mean, that could be like the title to the forward of my autobiography. You know, it's like, <laughs> it it's unbelievable. And, and I know we're going to get into this in a minute because it's been an interesting day, but um, for you, Shane Ryan, but uh, at the end of the day, I, I just have this one question as somebody who was always, you know, mired in the middle of that style of thinking is like, how did they just push a sh- push aside Paul Azinger's success? How did they just skip? I mean, you, you did the research, right? I, I have to ask this question. How did they just like skip over Azinger and all the success that he had? Well, you know, that exact question that you just asked me, uh, I, I found Stuart Sink last summer at the uh, BMW um, in Maryland, and I asked him the same exact question because he played for, I think, three Ryder Cup teams. The only one he won was in 2008, and the others afterward, you know, were disasters. And I said, Stuart, you, you know, you've got to explain this to me because I can't understand it, you know, and, and put the same question to him that you just put to me. And he sat there thinking, and he goes, you know, it's the biggest mystery of my entire career. 
And so <laughs> the answer is, the answer is great question. <laughs> you know what I mean? That there is no coherent answer. There's certainly no good answer. Um, and you know, there's there's things like this that you look at where starting in the eighties, looking at the Belfry Ryder Cup in nineteen eighty five, Tony Jacklin looks at the American team and says they play in the PGA Tour where the greens are incredibly fast. Uh, they are very good at shipping, right, because there's rough around the greens. They play in wide-open fairways. So what am I going to do with the Belfry? Narrow fairways, slow greens, and we're going to mow the hell around the greens so they can't ship on there anymore just as effectively. So he's setting up the course to benefit his team. When Paul Azinger in 2008 decides that he wants to do similar things in Valhalla to give the U.S. an advantage, Kerry Haig, who, you know, the PGA of America guy who's kind of their liaison, um, he's all for it. And he says, you know, you're the first person to ever want to do this the first U.S. captain to ever want to do this. And you look at that and you go, my God, there were 23 years in between when Tony Jacklin started doing this and when an American captain did it. What is the explanation for that? And you just kind of shrug your shoulders and you, you call it, what, arrogance maybe, thinking we're going to win on our talent alone, a lack of forward thinking, a lack of creativity. It, it's, it's a terrific question. Uh, and, and really, again, one of the great mysteries sort of of the Ryder Cup. Well, Shane, I mean, it, it was just 23 years, you know, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's talk about time for a second, because, you know, we are part of the a big part of this book is all about the Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits. And I have another question for you for somebody that really dug into this. And that is, how do you feel like the extra year of preparation due to covid either help or hurt the U.S. side? Um, did that play a factor at all in your in, in your research? It absolutely did, yeah. And so one thing you can look at, you know, there there are some basic things that are just lucky where, you know, the COVID, COVID makes it more difficult for Europeans to travel. And so obviously it was in America, so it was always going to be, you know, an American advantage, but there were basically no European fans there in Whistling Straits because of that. So that's just, you know, nobody's fault. That's just an accident of, of time and circumstance that makes things maybe incrementally easier for the U.S. But then there's other things where... What I would say essentially is that COVID means that you have to adapt. And when you have to adapt to an extreme situation, it's really going to show who the better captain is. So the, the classic example I like to give, and there are a few, the U.S. had four Ryder Cup, or sorry, I'm sorry, four captain's picks, which means, you know, as your listeners know, these are guys who aren't making the team on the standings. You're sort of picking them. Um, and when COVID started, uh, Steve Stricker had the opportunity to expand his captain's picks. Now, what the data shows is that captain's picks over time tend to play better than guys who make the, you know, who make the list automatically qualifying at the bottom of the list. And so that means captain's picks are better, right? You want the more you can have, the better you can get. Steve Stricker decides, okay, well, I know this. I've hired my stats guys. I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to expand to six captain's picks. On the other side, you have Parry Harrington, who actually has already gone down before the pandemic from four, which the Europeans had in Paris, to three. Uh, and his reasoning for that is, well, captain's picks feel uncomfortable because they didn't make the team automatically, so they feel too much pressure. Well, that's not the case. We, we know from the numbers that's not the case. And he, again, has the same opportunity Steve Stricker has. I'm sure his stats guys were telling him the exact same thing. He stuck with three, okay? That cost him big time and flexibility. He had to, you know, sure. he had to make some tough choices and leave guys like Justin Rose off the team. Whereas, you know, with Steve Stricker, he, he gave him the freedom to pick guys like, uh, Scotty Scheffler and people like that. Now, you look at what's happening with the President's Cup and the Ryder Cup moving forward, guess what? The U.S. is sticking with six captain's picks because this is their mindset now. We're going to do the thing that gives us the best chance to win, 
and we're going to learn why that is, right? We're going we're to learn every little aspect. So there's an example of COVID where Steve Stricker adapted much better um, and you know, made a choice that was far better than Power Carrington made and gave himself a big advantage. You know what? Adaptation. 23 years in the making. Hey, Shane Ryan, I got to take a quick break, man. So just hold on for a second because there's a couple more things I want to get into you, get into with you this afternoon uh, here on the Pro Show. Folks, thanks for tuning in to ESPN 920. We're fast approaching fa- 4 o'clock here. Uh, I'll be back with more with Shane Ryan in a second. The Max Kellerman Show. Show. You know, there was no one there like, hey, where's that guy we just hired? He just stopped showing up suddenly 15 years ago. So kind of weird. It's 650 G's. And now he's being sued. I don't know. I, you can't just not show up for work. But, but if he's not, like, doing anything fraudulent and they're just sending him the checks, I mean, why wouldn't he just deposit it in his account? The Max Kellerman Show. Weekdays at 2 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Watch exclusively on ESPN+. Plus. Join the thousands of golfers who already call Stick and Hack their home for the best golf stories, original podcasts, special events, member perks, and an active community of golfers across North America. Up until now, the golf media landscape lived somewhere between straight PGA coverage or idiots wrecking golf carts. We take a different approach by celebrating all sides of golf, life, and all the ways this amazing game connects Sticks and Hacks every day. Your free membership entitles you to discounts from major brands all over the country while connecting you with like-minded golfers for discussion, tips, or even a round of golf. So head to stickandhack.com and enjoy the world's greatest golf club without the course. Get ready for the back nine. As the Pro Show continues, once again, the director of fun, Keith Stewart. Welcome back to the Pro Show on ESPN 920. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I'm your host, Keith Stewart, and we're having some fun on a fantastic Friday afternoon. There's no doubt about that. She went out the corner of my eye, I saw a pretty little thing approaching me. Couple quick things to get through. As you know, folks, I'll post this show this evening on all podcast platforms iTunes, Amazon, Stitcher. You'll see it there. You can listen to us anywhere, like next week. If you're in Tulsa with me on 920ESPNNewJersey.com, just hit that listen now button. And of course, readtheline.com, just go and subscribe. All right, we have a quick conversation to finish up here with Shane Ryan, the author of a new Ryder Cup book that's dropping this week. And, uh, you know, he pulled this thing out. We just found out in a month. So I guess there ain't no rest for the wicked, my friend. Welcome back to the Pro Show. Yeah, thank you. All right, let's get back into this for a second. So this book, to me, felt very personal to you, right? The, the different excerpts that I've been able to, to read and then also just listening to you in that last segment, right? Um, why'd you pick the Ryder Cup? I mean, there's events like the Masters or maybe next week's PGA Championship. It seems to me like the Ryder Cup really means something to you. Yeah, you know, it always has. And, you know, unlike a lot of other journalists and unlike you and unlike a lot of people in golf, I didn't grow up playing golf. I was a football, basketball, baseball guy. Um, my stepdad liked golf and would have it on every Sunday and I'd, I'd get angry that the NFL wasn't on, you know, that's, that's the kind of sports fan I was as a kid. But even then I loved the Ryder cup. There was just something so romantic about it to me. This was something I looked forward to every year. Uh, for me, it was March madness and the Ryder cup were the two greatest sporting events period. Um, and then, you know, circumstances led me to cover golf professionally. And the very first tournament I ever covered any golf tournament was the 2012 Ryder cup in Medina which, you know, you and your listeners will know is, uh, you know, the U.S. built this big lead, and then on Sunday the Europeans had this incredible comeback. Yeah, I've tried to forget that one. 
<laughs> exactly, yes. exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I, I still think it's the most exciting, dramatic sporting event I've ever attended live. And that sort of cemented in my head that, you know, I, I already loved the Ryder Cup, but this was like, gosh, now I really love it. And, you know, the more I learned about the history and the strategy into it, I, I just think it's so special. And so at that time, even back then, I was like, I would like to write a book about this one day. Uh, well, you know, John Feinstein was going to write a book in 2016. I wasn't going to go head to head with him. No, thank you. Um, but I thought, you know, maybe the next time this is in America, maybe the time will be right. And that was Whistling Straits. And so, you know, I did everything I could to jockey to get in a position to, to be able to do this. Well, I think that you are wise beyond your years there, Mr. Shane Ryan, because with a historic victory and you cranking that thing out in a month, it drops this week. Everybody that's listening, make sure you check it out. It is the cup they couldn't lose. America. The Ryder Cup and the long road to Whistling Straits. So I appreciate you sharing and being so transparent about, um, you know, the process that you went through to kind of build that story and put it together. And like I said, I can't wait to read it. Now, we need to talk about one more thing before I get out of here today. And I got about a minute and a half left and we, we got to talk about this. There's an article that came out this morning in GolfDigest.com. And they talk about the crisis. It's called the Club Pro Crisis. And it just so happens to be written by you. Well, I just have just so happened to have been a club pro for 25 years. So I read the article this morning. It's fantastic. Everybody's got to get to golfdigest.com and read this for sure. But how did this piece come together? Because a lot of the sentiment that you put together in this, and it's it's just really it's it's a, it's an emotional read for me for sure. And anyone that's in the golf industry, so please get out there and do it, folks. But how did this piece come together? Because um, yeah, it really strikes a chord, my friend. Yeah, and I'll, you know, I'll make this quick. I know you're, we're time limited here, but basically it came to my attention through a couple of sources that there's a trend of club pros and assistant pros being run ragged, being run into the ground, working crazy hours, 80, 100 hours a week, uh, you know, not treated well, basically, and it's ruining their quality of life, divorces, alcoholism, just burnout generally. All these things are happening um, that I'm sure, Keith, you saw firsthand when you were doing it. And so to me, it was like, this is a big problem. A lot of people are leaving the industry. You're getting situations where there are a million assistant club, assistant pro jobs open and nobody to fill them. So I said, okay, what's going on here? And this article that you talked about is the culmination of months of work uh, getting to the bottom of this. And you're right. It's a very sad, sad situation. And I'm just hoping maybe this helps, you know, in the process to change things. Real quick, how did you find out there was a problem? Because this is one of those things that people just aren't talking about in the golf industry. Yeah, it was, you know, through conversations with pros on, on other topics is really, the, you know, what I would say. And, um, you know, there's a certain amount of protecting your sources and everything like that. But they're basically just having, you know, conversations and then someone going, incidentally, you know, after we've talked about this other topic, uh, here's something you may want to look into because it's a big problem that's getting bigger and has gotten worse with COVID. And like a lot of people, you know, I'm just a recreational golfer, had no idea. And, and people should have an idea, really. It's, it's really important, and there's a lot at stake here. And so that's kind of how it started for me. Hey, my colleagues, the men and women of the PGA of America, the ambassadors to the game, you know, the gatekeepers at all the golf courses that work tirelessly to make sure that all the golfers are having an awesome experience. We teach the game. We're doing all of these things on behalf of all those men and women, Shane Ryan. I thank you for writing that piece from the bottom of my heart. Because it couldn't mean more to somebody like me. And I know I've passed that piece around this morning as much as I could. And I encourage everyone to get out there and read it. Because these folks, we need your support. 
And I can't thank you enough for that. And I can't thank you enough for coming on the pro show this afternoon, Shane Ryan. I can't believe we waited this long to do it. We're going to do it again soon, my friend. Yeah, Keith, thank you so much. This was awesome. I really appreciate it. And there you go, Wade Weezer. And all my listeners, if you appreciate golf as much as I do, then you got to start reading Shane Ryan's stories. And you got to start working with our sponsors, TaylorMade Golf and the New Jersey Golf Foundation. Wade oh, man, I'll see you in two weeks. Heading to Tulsa on Monday. Appreciate all you do, and I appreciate all the technology you're going to provide me with next week to get it done as well. And for my listeners, before I go, I'm going to leave you all with one brief thought about preparation. When we prepare too much for an event, there's no room for us to think. Save some space for inspiration, and you'll be impressed at how well you perform in the moment. I'm your host, Keith Stewart, and this is The Pro Show. Thanks for joining us for today's show. The Pro Show with Keith Stewart returns to the T next Friday at 3 on ESPN 920.